Okay, good morning everyone. Head toward Luke chapter 3 if you would. I had the vast privilege, in fact, at the time in my life, I thought, what on earth? Like, I, if I could have gotten out of it, I would have gotten out of it. Um, we went to Africa to teach 250 elders in one conference, and then, I don't know, 150 elders in another conference uh, in my 20s. Um, I actually asked them, <laughs> are you sure? Like, I, I asked them if they would let me out of it, and um, I just felt overwhelmed, but so off we went to Africa to, to have elders conferences, and um, it shocked me. It was the first time I had been to Africa. One of the questions that we were required to deal with was, was this question, um, is it inappropriate for me to physically discipline my wife? That's like, like yeah, yeah, um, that's not a question you get in North American conferences. Um, <laughs> And, and, um, and so we, um, we would give them a theological explanation and deal with that subject, and then we would use this phrase. And I mean over and over and over and over again, we would use this phrase. When Kenyan culture cuts across the Word of God, Kenyan culture must bow to the Word of God. We would say that over and over and over and over again. Do we agree with that? Yeah. When the culture of the American church cuts across the word of God, the American church must bow to the word of God. Do we agree with that? So I'm going to do something. I'm going to take a liberty here. I don't even know who's on the committee, um, but could I have the committee stand up? I recognize I may be putting you in an awkward position. <laughs> I wasn't personally, you're welcome to applaud if you would like. Um, yeah. So no, 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 stay, keep standing. I have a point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't, wasn't just wanting to honor you, which I would love to do. Um, but so, so I don't even know how to say this, but um, in the presence of God, uh, you all are the authority of the California Bible Conference. Is that accurate? You're accountable before God. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm asking in the presence of God and in the presence of everybody, um, if the California Bible Conference wants the word of God to rule. And, and, and when the word of God cuts across the culture of the Californian church, if, if the committee wants the word of God to rule. Yeah, okay, thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, and, and I know, and I'm not being silly. I'm not being silly at all. I mean, I have a tremendous amount of ground to cover this morning, and this is a difficult topic. Um, yeah, yeah, so where have we been? Um, we, have, we have been, Christ the great worker is where we started, and then we talked about his invitation, come to me, stay with me, work with me, talk with me, and this morning we're going to talk about going forward with me. Or if you want to put a subtitle, like say, go forward with me, and then a subtitle, the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I had the committee stand up, because what I'm going to say is going to be uncomfortable to some of you. What I'm going to say is different. Thank you. What I'm going to say is different, um, and you'll notice that it's different. And so 1 Corinthians 14 says, let one speak, let the others judge. And I invite that. The Apostle Paul, in his arguments, would say, I speak as to, to you as to wise men, consider for yourselves the things that I say. Of course, the Bereans are the classic example. Search the scriptures and see if these things be so. So I'm inviting all of that. This is, this is, what we're going to talk about this morning is a desperately important topic. It is a church culture changing topic. It is a personal revival type topic. 
God must win. Like over the next 40 minutes, God must win here. The word of God must rule. However uncomfortable it makes us, we must let the word of God rule. Okay, let's pray. Father, we, um, we come to you desperately uh, and ask that you would open every mind, open every heart. Um, Lord, I'm thankful that this is being recorded. I pray, Lord God, that, that every one of us would be Bereans and that we would see the word of God for what it is, that we would be corrected, that we would be encouraged, that we would be established, and that we would be equipped so that we can do exactly what Brother Warren has been talking to us about, that we could go forward in victory. Yeah, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the people of God will go forward in victory in this next generation. Lord Jesus, I can see your hand. I can see you leading us. We are not where we were five years ago. We are not where we were 10 years ago. You are leading us on. But we need you desperately. We need you desperately. We need you desperately to teach us the word of God. We're going to see it today in the word of God. There are leadings of the Holy Spirit that make the servants of God incredibly uncomfortable. Please, Lord God, please, Do a work in us so that we will follow you rather than choosing what is comfortable. Yeah, please, we we commit this time to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, Luke chapter 3. I have three points in in my outline today. Point number one is the example of Christ. So we're going to talk about going forward with the Lord. The subtitle is the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start with the example of Jesus Christ. So Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 21 says this. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And then look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then go to verse number 14, if you would. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And look what happened as a result of him coming in the power of the Spirit. The news of him went through all the surrounding region. So I have a radical exhortation this morning. Uh, Actually, let me me put it a different way. I have a radical suggestion this morning. Are you ready? I'm arguing from the Scriptures that we should be like Jesus. That's my whole suggestion. Now we're going to laboriously walk through this topic, but that is my entire suggestion. And we, we made four observations. He was baptized by the Spirit. Moody would have called that a baptism of power for service. Perhaps I'm not wise enough to know what to call that. But I see it. I don't have to actually call it anything. Mike Atwood would say, I don't know what, what exactly to call that, but um, I want everything that the Lord wants for me. Some would would look at that and say it's an anointing from God. I'm saying this for your encouragement. Um, Two older sisters in England, little little old ladies, uh, were prayer warriors back in the day, and um, they would pray and pray and pray for revival. And they heard about this young preacher, Moody. And uh, one time one person said, what's so special about Moody? Does Moody have a, does he have the corner on the Holy Spirit? And one person said, said, no, Moody doesn't have the corner on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a corner on Moody. So these two sisters, they would, they prayed and prayed and prayed for a revival. And they heard about this young preacher, 
he wasn't wasn't super well known, but they heard about him, and they and they began to pray that God would bring Moody to their little church in England, all the way across. You, you're like it's a long trip at that point, right? On a boat, all the way across the Atlantic Ocean, bring this young preacher to our church. And uh, one of them was too sick to um, to go to the meetings anymore. And uh, her sister went off to church, and to her surprise that morning, Dwight Moody was there to speak, and, um, and he gave a fine message. She came home to have lunch with her sister, and she said, you'll never, you'll never guess what happened. She said, Dwight Moody was there to speak this morning, and the sister who was no longer able to leave the house, she said, yeah. Well, then we should have revival. Yeah. That night, uh, the sister went back and Moody gave a message like he had he'd always given, just a simple gospel message. At the end of it, he said, if you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, um, I'd like you to stand. And most of the congregation stood up. And he had them sit down because he thought he was not explaining something accurately enough. And, um, but he tried to re-explain it, and then he said, I'd like you to stand, and most of them stood up. Um, and then he, said, he was confused. He didn't know what to do. So he said, okay, um, they'll have a meeting tomorrow night with your pastor. Anybody that wants to receive Christ as Savior, come tomorrow night. And um, Moody boarded a ship and left England for Ireland. And... Um, and on Monday night, the pastor showed up, and more people came on Monday night to receive Christ. And then, and then they cabled Moody over in Ireland, and they said, you have to come back. And uh, they described what was happening, and he came back, and the second great awakening started. It was the, it was the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So what we're observing is, is Christ was baptized by the Holy Spirit. Um, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 5. For you and I, New Testament epistles, um, in the Greek, it's be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Present continuous, you have to keep on being filled. They, again, they'd ask Moody, why do you talk so much about being filled with the Holy Spirit? And he said, because I leak. You, you have to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 5. He was led by the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 8 and Galatians 5. We will look at that in point number 3. And then he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, the Apostle Paul, he would say, my gospel came to you not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. So, so, um, yeah, that's the the point number one is is um, the example of Christ. Uh, let's look at one more example of Christ before we move to point two. Luke eleven. Yeah, Luke 11, here's Jesus again, our great hero, the one that we want to follow. Verse 1, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. It's so hard now not to launch off into a discussion of prayer. Um, prayer is the greatest subject in the world. It's an overflow of a love relationship with God. If Yosemite's conference next year was starting tomorrow, I would probably say, oh, let's talk about prayer. I mean, of course, I'm going to pray about that all year long. Um, but it's hard not to talk about it. What I want you to see is that Christ was such a man of prayer that his close followers said, boy, he's different than us. And, and it produced this, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And then please notice how he teaches them to pray. Um, he gives them the model prayer. He encourages them with the heart of God. And then straightforwardly, verse 9, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, 
and you will find. By the way, in the Greek, it's keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Do you believe that? Your life, maybe we could ask the, the Lord that, that our, our lives would actually reflect the truth that we see in the Word of God. Everyone who asks, receives. And then keep going. Um, he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks from, for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, please, everyone, catch this. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This truth was completely foreign to me just, just years ago. I would have read that verse and I would have gotten out my dispensational stamp and I just would have gone, Pfft. right? And I would have thought we never pray that. And basically, I grew up being taught, right? Like Psalm 51, uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. We're not, we, don't, we don't pray that, which of course I'm in total agreement with. Um, we, we have as much of the Holy Spirit as we'll ever have. And, and I'm in agreement with that, although it's a partial truth. It's not a complete truth. Um, when the Lord showed me this years ago, oh, it was mind-changing. Um, here, let me just, because it's more effective, it's the most effective way I can communicate it to you. This is what William McDonald says of this phrase. Um, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? J. G., um, here it is. A human father would not give bad gifts. Even though he has a sinful nature, he knows how to give good gifts to his children. How much more is our Heavenly Father willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? J.G. Bellet says, It is significant that the gift that he selects as the one we most need. This is why I'm taking precious minutes to laboriously make this point. The one he most desires to give is the Holy Spirit. When Jesus spoke these words, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. John 7, 39. We should not pray today for the Holy Spirit to be given to us as an indwelling person because he comes to indwell us at the time of our conversion. Romans 8, Ephesians 1. It is certainly proper and necessary for us to pray for the Holy Spirit in other ways. We should pray that we would be teachable by the Holy Spirit, that we will be guided by the Holy Spirit, that we will be empowered, that his power will be poured out on on us in all our service for Christ. It is quite possible that when Jesus taught the disciples to ask for the Holy Spirit, he was referring to the power of the Spirit enabling them to live the otherworldly type of discipleship which he had been teaching in the preceding chapters. By this time, they were probably feeling how utterly impossible it was for them to meet the tests of discipleship in their own strength. Anybody feel that way after listening to the word this week? This is kind of crazy. Like the things that are being talked about. How on earth could we ever do this? Like I know myself. I've been to Yosemite 30 years. And I want to go home in victory. But I, I know my, my trends, right? I know how I've done this in the past. If that's how you're feeling, you're feeling just like the disciples perhaps. This is, of course, true. The Holy Spirit is the power that enables one to live the Christian life. So Jesus pictured God as anxious to give this power to those who ask. In the original Greek, verse 13 does not say that God will give the Holy Spirit, but rather he will give Holy Spirit without the article. Professor H.B. Sweet pointed out that when the article is present, it refers to the person himself. When the article is absent, it refers to his gifts or his operations on our behalf. So in this passage, it is not so much a prayer for the person of the Holy Spirit, but rather for his ministries in our lives. This is further borne out by the parallel passage in Matthew 7, which reads, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So I would just say this. Um, not, I'm not basing this on William McDonald. I, I so appreciate the clarity and simplicity with which he states that. But I'm saying, based on the Scripture and a proper understanding of the Scripture, thus saith the Lord, we need to be praying for the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing about that is God understands exactly what he meant in the passage. 
So when you pray, he knows exactly how to answer that prayer. Lord, I want everything that you want for me. I pray for the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. When we started talking about the Holy Spirit a number of years ago, boy, the people of God got nervous. One of my elders that I, I love, I love, 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 love this guy and I respect him greatly. Um, 20 years ago, I showed him a book that I was thinking about and, and he saw a chapter on being filled with the Spirit. And the only comment he gave when he gave it back to me was he said, that just seems very questionable to me. Right? And that's because of how he was raised. Nobody talked about the Spirit of God. And it sounded charismatic to him. And yet it's right in the Scripture, Ephesians chapter 5. Be being filled with the Spirit. It's a command. If you're not filled with the Spirit, you're out of the will of God. And the powerlessness and fruitlessness and frustration that we see in our lives, it's, it's a result of an improper relationship with Christ and an improper understanding and, and hence relationship with the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead. One person put it this way, when we are referring to God, balance is a huge mistake. God is not just one thing we can add to the mix called life. He wants an invitation from us to permeate everything and every part of us. In the same way, seeking a healthy balance of the Holy Spirit assumes that there are some who have too much of the Holy Spirit and others who have too little. I have yet to meet anyone who has too much of the Holy Spirit. Granted, I've met many who talk about him too much, but none who are actually overfilled with his presence. Amen. So if we understand the scripture, then, then we will be praying for the Holy Spirit in all of his power, in all of his ministries. It's the first thing that the Lord Jesus taught his followers to pray for. A man of prayer, given the opportunity, right? He lived it. His followers saw him living it. They said, oh, that's, we're not like that. Would you teach us? And the first thing he taught them, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Look how good God is. And what I want you to ask for, the gift that I most desire to give you, the Holy Spirit. Not just his presence, but his power. Okay, point two. Uh, go to the book of Acts chapter 7, if you would. Book of Acts chapter 7. This is point two. So we, point one was the example of Christ. Point two is the example of Acts. Now, we're going to spend a little bit of time here hopping through the book of Acts. God help us. And we'll end up with the epistles, and then we'll refer to Revelation. So we're really going to go from Gospels all the way. All the way, we're going to trace this through the New Testament. And with the Lord's help, seek to, un seek to really understand the mind of God here. So Acts 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, um, you always resist the Holy Spirit. I wanted to start there because that's me. I had a wonderful talk with one of our young men yesterday, and um, one of the things that we talked about was, I, I love this quote, I wondered at my stupidity. I love that quote. Yeah, Peter would say it this, this way, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Yeah, I, I do. I wonder at my stupidity. I love the Lord more than I've ever loved Him before. I see Him in His radiant beauty more clearly than ever before. I enjoy Him in the quiet place in a way that I thought you had to wait to eternity to enjoy Him. And yet, with all of that being true, I wonder at my stupidity, at my slowness, at my immaturity. I mean, it's amazing. I look back over my life In high school, I remember the Spirit of God trying to draw me to my Bible, and I would, I would just prefer activity over, over letting the Spirit of God have His way. That's quenching the Spirit, resisting the Spirit. Sin grieves the Spirit. I mean, I just look, I look at this. this I, I, could, I could stand here and I could honestly say, I have used my teens for Christ. 
I have used my 20s for Christ. I have used my 30s for Christ. This year I turned 47. So far I have used my 40s for Christ. That's an honest testimony. And yet I look and I see, I see this. Like uh, There are limits that we put. I'll go this far. And we resist. We need to ask the Lord to deal with that in our lives. We need to tell him we're in and then ask him to deal with that tendency. What I'm describing is sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Okay, look at chapter 8, verse 29. Chapter 8, verse 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Actually, let's read verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, had charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Let's stop there. So so if you're taking notes, um, chapter 8, verse 29, the Holy Spirit leads in personal witness. We're going to look at category after category here of the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. The first example is that he leads in personal witness. Now, I want you to notice, this is an incredibly important doctrinal point. The text must speak. And when it cuts across the culture of the American church, the American church must bow to the authority of Scripture. I want you to see it. Verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip. I want you to notice biblically that the Spirit of God has a voice. This is called the voice of the Spirit. I want you to notice that the Spirit is capable of speaking. I want you to notice textually that Philip was capable of discerning what the Spirit of God said. Now, with our theological training, which I am 100% in agreement with, we would be so quick to say the Spirit doesn't highlight himself. The Spirit's job is to highlight Christ. That's the upper room ministry, John 13 through 17. Completely in agreement with that. So he doesn't speak of himself, but he does speak for himself. He's the member of the Godhead on planet Earth right now. This is the church age, the age of the Spirit. If we don't understand him and if we don't relate to him the right way, we do God a tremendous disservice. And we rob glory of Christ, rob glory from Christ. So in personal witness, the Holy Spirit leads Dan Williams, when he, when he was turned upside down um, at the North American Week of Prayer, he went home, and um, what I remember is, is um, every single day, this is just my memory, um, every single day he would text me, it seemed like at least four times with answers to prayer, where there was a, a grieving, a quenching, a, a compromised Christian life, now there was a fullness, a freeness a walking in the Spirit. He, he went for a walk with the Lord in, in his community in Dallas, Texas, outside of Dallas, Texas. Um, he went for a walk with the Lord, told the Lord, I want to go, go for a prayer walk with you. Uh, he was walking along, and he, he said, Lord, show me an open door. And he looked, I think it was to his left, he looked, and there's a physical open door, one of his neighbors. And so he walked up, and I think you've never, you didn't really talk with this neighbor before, right? Um, he walked up to the neighbor, and he knocked. And uh, she came to the door, and he said, um, is there anything I can pray for you for, right? And uh, she started crying. And then she said, my husband's dying. Um, I would really appreciate it if you'd pray for me. And, and he just put his hand on her shoulder and bowed his head and prayed for her. Spirit-led opportunities for, for witnessing. And then he carried on, and uh, he, started, he talked with a Spanish-speaking lady, um, not good at Spanish himself. He had a half an hour spirit-enabled conversation with this woman in Spanish where he would give the credit to the Lord for that. Anyways, it was just a flood of spirit, spirit, uh, spirit-led 
witnessing opportunities and opportunities with the Christians. There's a book that I'd recommend heartily to anybody. Um, it's called um, Incidents in Gospel Work. It's by Charles Stanley, but not the Charles Stanley that you all would have heard of in recent Christendom. Um, he was a, an evangelist from Scotland in the 1800s. The book is written kind of in an older English, but it's very intelligible, and um, it's tremendous. I mean, stories like you go to the train station, you buy a ticket, and then you say, okay, Lord, what train? And then he shows you what train. And then you get on that train, and then you say, okay, Lord, what stop? And then, and then he shows you what stop, and then you get off, right? And then you say, okay, Lord, what text? And then he shows you what text. And then, and then you preach the gospel to an empty, an empty courtyard. And, and then you, you end your message. And a man comes down out of the building and he says, he says um, I couldn't sleep last night. And, uh, and all night long, as I laid there unable to sleep, that verse was, was in my mind. But I don't understand it. Can you explain that to me? And he led him to Christ. It's a whole book like that. The Personal Leading of the Holy Spirit. It's a tremendous book. You can get it for free. If you, if, you, um, if you want to read it electronically, you can get it for free. Or I think it costs four bucks if you want to, if you want to buy it. Um, yeah, I heartily recommend it to you. So the Holy Spirit um, leads in personal evangelism. Go to chapter 10, if you would. And verse number 19. Chapter 10, verse number 19. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him. I'd like you to notice in the text that the Spirit is capable of speaking. Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and, pr- and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down. I'd like you to notice in the text that Peter had the ability to hear what the Spirit of God was saying and make life decisions based on what the Spirit of God said. Does everybody see that? Now, I'm not going to read the whole story for sake of time, but this, of course, is, is the gospel going to the Gentiles. Um, and, I, and if you're taking notes, then please write this down. The Spirit of God will lead you where, where you would be vastly uncomfortable. Peter actually resisted. Do you remember the vision? Right? He, the, the sheet comes down from heaven. And, and, and the Lord is suggesting something that makes Peter so uncomfortable, he actually... Uh, he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, not so, Lord. Right? This isn't even Peter of the Gospels. This is Peter of Acts. Peter post Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. And yet, and yet the Spirit of God was leading him somewhere where he was so uncomfortable that he would disagree with God. I guarantee you that if you're willing to be all in for Christ, and if you're willing to let the Lord grow you into what we're talking about this morning, the Spirit of God will lead you into things that are very uncomfortable for you. And he'll also lead all of us collectively into areas that are very uncomfortable. Now let me try to be as clear as I can possibly be. I am not saying the Spirit of God will lead us into things that are unbiblical. The Spirit of God will never, ever, 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 never, ever, ever, never lead you in disagreement with his word. Amen? Yeah. But is our understanding of the word of God perfect? If our understanding of the word of God was perfect, then we would never be uncomfortable with how the Spirit... If our understanding of the word of God was perfect then we would never be uncomfortable with the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? But because our understanding is not perfect, because we have theological persuasions that that are off, and I'm not saying we know that they're off, but they're they're not perfect. We are not perfect. And because of that, if we're all in, and if we're willing to let Christ truly be be preeminent in the church and let the Holy Spirit be president in the church, then he will lead us into things that are uncomfortable. We must beg him for the ability to 
to discern what is the difference between ecclesiastical tradition and biblical tradition. What are things that we have built on top of the Word of God versus the core essence of what the Word of God actually says? If we're going to go forward, this is absolutely essential. Because Peter obeys the Holy Spirit here, obeys God, the Holy Spirit here, um, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Yeah, it was a shift in dispensation. The Lord Jesus is doing a fresh work in North America. There will be things that will be uncomfortable, not unbiblical, but uncomfortable. We must be dependent upon the Lord, and we must be Bereans. We must be able to rightly divide the word of truth and discern. Thinking of how the Lord used Peter in this text, um, Hudson Taylor uh, recalls this. On Sunday, June 25th, 1865, unable to bear the sight of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security, while millions were perishing from lack of knowledge, I wandered out onto the sands alone in great spiritual agony. There, the Lord conquered my unbelief, and I surrendered myself to God for service. I told him that all the responsibility as to issues and consequences must rest with him, that as his servant it was mine to obey and follow, it is his to direct, to care for, and to guide me, and those who will labor with me. Need I say that peace at once flowed into my burdened heart? There and then I asked him for 24 fellow workers, two for each of 11 inland provinces of China, which were without a missionary, and two for Mongolia. Writing the petition on the margin of the Bible I had with me, I returned home with a heart enjoying rest, such as it had been a stranger to me for months, and with an assurance that the Lord would bless his own work and that I should share in the blessing." The Spirit of God in the text led Peter, go, take the, take the gospel to the Gentiles. He, he said, no, not so, Lord. And then the Lord showed him, your, your understanding is accurate to an extent, but it's incomplete. Yes, this is very uncomfortable for you, but you don't fully understand what I'm doing. But follow me. And Peter followed. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. And this incredible truth of the church starts to come into focus. It's going to make one out of two, Ephesians chapter 2. The Spirit of God is leading, and He will continue to lead. These are very sober things. These are very serious things. We must pray. We must daily have nothing between our soul and the Savior. Like we must be able to say with Paul, I know of nothing, I know of nothing in myself. We must walk with him every day. We must follow him forward. We must believe him. We must be full of faith. The Spirit of God does lead. The Spirit of God is leading. In chapter 11, um, Peter uses the, the, what happens in 10, he uses it as evidence. That's basically what I'm doing. I hadn't thought of that until this moment, but that's basically what I'm doing. Go to chapter 13, if you would. Acts chapter 13. Oh, God help us. Okay, Acts chapter 13. And look at, look at um, verse number 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, notice that the Holy Spirit has the ability to speak. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Notice that the leaders that are represented in this text, the leaders of the church in Antioch had the ability to discern the voice of the Spirit. They could tell how he was leading. 
Notice what they were doing when they could tell how he was leading. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. In other words, God had their attention. Leaders of God's people, namely, um, it wouldn't be only elders. There are leaders here that are women. Praise God for that. Leaders of God's people, elders of God's people, there is a tremendous challenge here. If you ever let the devil push you into being so busy that you don't have time to minister to the Lord and fast and be on your faces before him, then you will lose the ability to hear from him. And you will be dead in the water in terms of your leadership. The only successful way to lead the people of God is John 15, to abide in the vine. This is a tremendous example. If we don't have the ability, and many of the people of God, I'm seeking to say this cautiously, many of the people of God have lost the ability and don't even know if this is biblical, what is being presented today. There's a verse I'll show you in just a second that's so important. If we have lost this ability, then what you end up with is good men. And can I please emphasize that? Good men, good men, good men, good-hearted men that are doing their best. You end up with men leading as opposed to God leading. And when men lead, you end up with what men can produce. When God leads, you can end up with what God can produce. Those are different things. If you are listening to this and you're a leader of the people of God, I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to show you where you are on this spectrum and what you need to grow in. And I'll say it this way. The spectrum is from, I'll just use this as an example. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. I'll give you another example. Um, When Moses turned aside to look at the bush, then God spoke to him from out of the bush. When God had Moses' attention, then he spoke to him. When God had their attention, then the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Biblically, that's how it happens. If we let the Lord make us too busy. Yes, saints should be left bleeding so that you can go to your prayer closet. Yes, that absolutely should be true. And I know that that's incredibly hard if you're a shepherd of sheep but it is an absolute essential. The spectrum is this. Leaders that God has their full attention, hence they can be directed by him, be filled and directed by the Holy Spirit of God. The other end of the spectrum, think Samuel and Eli. When the Lord spoke to Samuel, he heard it. The fat old man didn't hear it. And so the spectrum is Men that, are, that know God, that are on their faces before God, that are able to be directed by the Holy Spirit, and then fat old men that can no longer hear the voice of the Lord. That's the spectrum. Both are biblical, which is the only reason I feel comfortable lifting this up. This is a plague in the North American church that we must ask the Lord to deal with. And this is what every single one of us, starting with me, must be pursuing and asking the Lord to grow us toward. No, none of us have arrived. We can just all agree with Paul. I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. I have not yet attained, but I press on. Okay, um... There's more in Acts 16, 20, 22. Um, we're going to skip the rest of that um, for our time today. Point number three is, yeah, I, we must see this. Point number three is a pattern to follow. A pattern to follow. I hope I don't need to say this, but maybe I should. Um, I thank God for, for elders. Hebrews chapter 13 uh, says that we should obey them. It says that we should follow their faith. It says that we should make it a joy for those that rule over us. God believes in elders. Therefore, I believe in elders. And I would do anything in my power to support them and encourage them and honor them, for sure. Yeah, so God help us. Okay, so there's a pattern that we must follow. Go to John chapter 16, if you would. 
We're going to skip through this fairly quickly, and then, I, and then I'll be done. John chapter 16. And verse number 13. I just want you to see this. John 16, verse 13, upper room ministry, Lord Jesus Christ teaching, he says this, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you. So Jesus Christ believed in this topic. Into all truth. So notice several things. The Holy Spirit is capable of guiding that he guides into truth. The Holy Spirit does not guide people into error. Amen? He guides into truth. The Holy Spirit will not hurt you. You can trust him. Amen? We're talking about seeking Christ through the word of God. A yieldedness. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's a yieldedness. Which member of the Godhead would take you up on your offer? It'd be the Holy Spirit. If you offer your body as a living sacrifice... Well, that's the member of the Godhead that lives inside of you. So he will guide you. And then Acts, right? So I'm making a theological argument here. Acts, um, we saw example after example of the Spirit of God leading and guiding. So, so Jesus Christ taught it. The early Christians lived it. Now go to Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8. Quick like a bunny. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So walk according to the Spirit. Notice that in the text. And then verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit. I just want you to see it in the epistles. So what we're noticing is an incredibly solid, strong theological argument. It was presented by Jesus Christ in the Gospels. It was lived out by the early Christians in the book of Acts, and it is doctrinally pulled over into the epistles. That's an incredibly strong theological argument. Another way of describing true believers is to say that they are led by the Spirit of God. Paul is not referring to spectacular instances of divine guidance in the lives of eminent Christians. Rather, he is speaking of what is true of all sons of God. Namely, they are led by the Spirit. Now, if you're taking notes, just just write down Galatians 5.16. says, walk in the Spirit. That That means you allow him to have his way. You're walking. He's empowering. He's guiding. He's directing. And then Galatians 5.18 says, says to be led by the Spirit. So Romans 8, Galatians 5, these are parallel passages. And then, if you wanted to, and we're not going to, you could go to the churches in Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3, and you could see repeatedly, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what? What the Spirit says to the churches, to the church. So all the way through the New Testament, we believe, by the way, we believe in the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. Our problem is that we typically tended to emphasize it for for 50 minutes on Sunday morning during the breaking of bread. But we believe in it, right? I mean, we expect brothers to be led by the Spirit of God, don't we? Yeah. We want spirit-led participation, not just participation. We want spirit-led participation in the breaking of bread. And we expect that. We assume that. But we just have been wrong to limit it when he would very much like to be leading for the glory of Christ all week long, minute after minute after minute after minute. So I mentioned incidents in gospel work. Um, Let me mention one more book. Uh, Someone at a workers' and elders' conference uh, a number of years ago said, you're moving to Freedom, California. And I said, yeah. And by this point, I had interacted with the people of God <laughs> uh, quite a bit about it. And, um, and he said, tell me, tell me how the Lord led you to, to Freedom, California. And I, in my heart, I went, oh. And it's because you get very many different kinds of reactions to that. And so I, and so I just told him, I've determined from the very beginning, like I don't care what it ends up making me look like. I've determined I'm going to be open 
from the very beginning. So I told him exactly everything that the Lord had done and led me. And at the end of my story, he said, he said this, that sounds exactly like William McDonald's book. And I thought, are you kidding me? Like this was a, this was a journey of agony. Like this was this like praying, like, and I'm talking travail, like tear-filled prayer meetings day after day after day after day, learning this process, begging the Lord not to let me go wrong. I want everything that's of you. I want nothing that's not. I am not smart enough to protect myself. I need you. I will seek Christ through the word of God, like day after day after day. And he said, yeah, that's what William McDonald describes in that book, God Still Speaks. Has anybody, who's read that? Yeah, some of you. If you've not read that, that is a must read. And I'm not overemphasizing that. It's a tiny little book. It's the easiest book to read since Run, Spot, Run. <laughs> super, it's super easy. It's a small book. It doesn't cost much money. Yeah, it, you must read it. You must read it. You must read it. William McDonald, three times at least in that book, he makes the case that, the, that, the, that God is capable of speaking, that we must have the ability to in, in decipher that. And that God still leads, God still speaks. You kind of have to be, at least from my feeble perspective, you kind of have to be William MacDonald to make that kind of argument and have people actually listen to you. So, the personal leading of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking all week long, right? And here we are at the end of the week. I know we have tomorrow morning, praise God. But the Lord, the Lord Jesus is basically saying to this crowd, go forward with me. We started out with come to me, stay with me, right? And now he's saying, go forward with me. He's starting on the west. That's where most of you lived. Live. This is a must. We must gain. You know what? I skipped a verse. This is so essential. This is what we must do right here. Uh, just write it in your notes. You don't have to turn. Um, this is what we must gain the ability to do. Are you ready? So if you're taking notes, Hebrews 5, chapter 4, or sorry, chapter 5, verse 14. Solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We must let the Lord grow us. That's the last verse in Hebrews chapter 5. We must let the Lord grow us to where we can discern. How do you know if it's you and not, how do you know if it's, it's the Holy Spirit and not you? The biblical answer to that is intimacy, proximity, love relationship, and I would add this, maturity. You must let the Lord mature you that by reason of use, you come to discern good from evil. Yeah, it's maturity. We lost this somewhere along the line and we have suffered for it. The Lord is seeking to bring this back because he's training us to be warriors. Father, we commit this to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.